as I'm physically preparing, you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. And if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, the passage will be up here. Um, no Ginsu knives this week. So, sorry about that. We started in John chapter 9 last week. And Moon talked about the purpose of suffering and how appropriate, what timing God has for us. And uh, we're going to finish out John chapter 9 today. And we're going to look at what happened to this man who was born blind that Jesus spit in the dirt, made some mud, put on his eyes and told him to go wash. And he'd come back and he could see. And what we're going to focus on today are the reactions of the people that saw what happened in that incident. And I say incident, not accident. The sovereignty of God reminds us that all things come to us through the hands of God. There are no accidents. So, I just want to start. We're going to read this passage. It's a little bit lengthy because we're going to read 13 through 41. But it's the context that we have, and we need that whole context. We actually need, we'll cover a little bit of what was spoken about last week too. Um, Before I read, let me pray. God, we come and we say thank You for the Bible. We thank You for preserving Your Word for us, and the fact that we have this book is a miracle in and of itself. The enemy has tried it in so many different ways at so many different times to destroy this record of your dealings with men. Even now, the enemy tries to corrupt and invade and dilute what is recorded in this book. But God, Your Word is flourishing. And we thank You for that. And we ask You that this morning that Word would flourish in us, that Your Holy Spirit would Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from Your Word. This is definitely not about the messenger, God. It's about the words that will be conveyed. It's about the power of Your Holy Spirit transferring those words into the hearts of men and bearing fruit in their lives. May it be so for Your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me start. Let me move this fern. My friend the fern. All right. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Love that statement, by the way. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he's opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. 
The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Wow. Can we go back to the beginning, Andrew? And I hate to put you through this, but if we can follow the passage as we talk about it, that would be great. We're going to walk through this kind of verse by verse. Um, There's a couple places where it's more than just a verse that we're going to cover. We're going to walk through it, and then we're going to look at these reactions at the end of it. So, verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, who brought this man to the Pharisees? If you back up, you'll see it was the crowd that was gathered around. Okay, The crowd saw what had happened, that Jesus had healed this man. He come back from the pool. Now, get the picture in your head. He came back from the pool, water running down his face, and he's going, That's going to bring a crowd. Hey, we know that guy. That's the guy that couldn't see. He was born blind. And now he's saying that he sees. Hey, I got an idea. Let's take him to the Pharisees. What? Now, how much sense does that make? Let me, let me tell you what I think's going on there. Why would they bring him to the Pharisees? I, I, I believe the Pharisees had been pretty good physically, maybe fiscally even, to make sure that everybody knew if this guy Jesus pops up and if he starts saying things and doing things, you come get us, okay? So the crowd said, oh, Pharisees, and they respected the Pharisees. They revered the Pharisees. So they said, oh, Jesus did something, so let's take this guy to the Pharisees and show him. And they might have even been excited about it. Check this out. He can see. This is awesome. So Jesus had done something, and they wanted to bring it to the Pharisees' attention. Verse 14, and I just wonder if, if sometimes John has his tongue in his cheek saying, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Because Jesus just had a habit of doing things like this on the Sabbath. And he knew that the Pharisees just couldn't stand it. Jesus was continuing to show that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, like he had done back. Remember when the guy was at the pool when he couldn't get in the pool, when, when the waters were stirred? Jesus healed that guy on the Sabbath. The guy picked up his mat and was walking up the road. They're like, why are you carrying your mat? Some guy told me to pick up my mat and go. I just, uh, who told you? Oh, the guy, guy back there. I don't know. And later Jesus said, it's me. He goes, but Jesus is the one who told me to pick up my mat. Same thing here. Who healed you? Jesus, Jesus did. He told me to go wash in the, why? Why? It's the Sabbath. And you just see the Pharisees gritting their teeth. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him, this guy who had been born blind, who could see now, who had water running down his face, crowd was gathering around him, kind of brought him to him. The Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight on the Sabbath. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And this is pretty straightforward. This is what happened. The guy's like, look, couldn't see. Guy walked up, puts mud on my eyes. He says, go wash. I go wash. After I wash, I can see. Now, there's two things in there. He put mud on my eyes. Can't do that on the Sabbath. Walking to the pool was probably not allowed. It was probably too far to walk. Washing may not have been allowed. Depends on which Pharisee you talk to. So they're just indignant. They can't stand it. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. Why? For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. The Pharisees themselves find out that they are divided about who Jesus is. Now before, the Pharisees were pretty stern and steadfast, except Nicodemus had kind of piped up and said something here and there. Hey, maybe we should talk to this guy, get his story. They're like, shut up. We don't want to hear from you. 
this guy's a sinner. But now what happens is one group says Jesus can't be from God because obviously no one would either make mud or heal somebody on the Sabbath. But others of them saw that obviously the signs Jesus were, signs Jesus was doing, notice the plural because there's a case building. Jesus has been doing some signs here, okay? Words getting out about this guy. And this other group of Pharisees say that obviously these signs show that he couldn't be a sinner. So the Pharisees themselves are now divided, which I'm sure that they, they've been divided on many issues and they've come together. But this is going to be a problem. This is going, this is a splinter that's going to be in the midst of them that's going to cause them problems from now on. Verse 17. So they said again to the blind man. So they can't agree. So they turned back to him. What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And the man said, he's a prophet. So they asked the man what he thinks since he opened your eyes. And the man says, he's a prophet. Which is basically high praise. This guy is sent from God. He speaks for God. He speaks the words of God. He may be doing the works that God sent him to do. So he shows that he believes that Jesus has some connection with God. Which is almost true. It's close to the truth. So he's saying here, I know he has a connection with God, but he's definitely not saying, I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he is God in the flesh. He's just saying, this man's a prophet. That's what I think. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight. Go ahead to 19. And they asked the parents... Now. I'll, Set this up, okay? Listen. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Now, put yourself in this position. You're the parents of a man who had been born blind, I guess I was about to say from his birth. If you were born, you've been blind since from your birth, right? So they bring the parents in. You're the parents and you're thinking, wow, wait a second. This is our son who we know was born blind. He can see now. You'd think they'd be pretty excited, right? The Jews, however, begin grasping at straws. I bet he wasn't even blind. Let's ask his parents. Hey, parents, is this your son? And was he born blind? And they're like, well, we know it's our son. Positive ID. okay? And we do know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Go on, 22. Why? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. Now again, think about being the parents of this guy. Who, who, who in here is a parent? Some of you aren't claiming it too much. You're like, I don't know. You've seen my kids. No. I would like to think that if one of my kids was born blind and in adulthood I found out that they were healed, I'd like to think that I'd be pretty excited. I'd like to think that I would want to celebrate with them and I would really want to find out what happened that caused them to be able to see. Right? You with me? Okay. You know, Hannah's... 12, she's the oldest I've got, so if, she came, if she'd been born blind, she comes to me at 12 and says, I can see. I wouldn't say, Ooh. why can you see? Are you sure you can see? Because you could never see before. But don't judge these guys too harshly. Okay, Let me tell you what's going on here. They're pretty evasive. Well, he's our son, he's born blind, but how he sees, we don't know. Listen, they didn't know. They didn't know what had happened. This wasn't like this happened all the time. And, oh yeah, this guy named Jesus is walking around just healing blind people. I mean, Jesus was doing miracles, but they've got to be asking themselves, how did this happen? The story's pretty ridiculous. A guy spit in the dirt, made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash. I went and washed. I washed and now I can see. Oh, okay. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, there's got to be some sort of confusion. There's got to be some kind of question here. They just didn't know what had happened and they weren't about to risk being expelled from the town's religious and cultural center 
to venture a guess. Listen to what happens at the synagogue in these places, okay? You're in a community that's got one synagogue. The synagogue were the things that uh, Jewish communities started to build when the temple was destroyed because the temple had been the center of worship. Well, when the temple was destroyed before Jesus came, they had to worship somewhere. When they got taken to foreign lands, they had to worship somewhere. So they built basically a community building where everybody could come. They could study the Torah, those that studied it. They could pray. They could come together and worship. And it wasn't just worship. It was a community center. I mean, it was kind of like potlucks happened there. You know, everything. It was the cultural center of the town. What the Pharisees had said was, if anybody starts lifting up this guy named Jesus, we're going to expel you from the synagogue. Now listen to this. According to the Talmud, which is Jewish law, there were three grades of excommunication among the Jews. The first was called Nadine, and those on whom it was pronounced were not permitted for 30 days to have any communication with any person unless at a distance of over four cubits, which is about six feet. They were not prohibited from attending public worship, though they could not, during those 30 days, enter the temple by the ordinary gate. They were not allowed to shave during that time and were required to wear garments of mourning. That's the first level. It's not what we're talking about. The second level was called sherem and was pronounced on those who remained openly disobedient under the first. It was of greater severity than the other and required the presence of at least ten, sorry, ten members of the congregation to make it valid. The offender was formally cursed. They pronounced a curse on him and was excluded from all interaction with other people and was prohibited from entering the temple or synagogue. That's the second. We're not talking about the second. We're talking about the third. The third was Shamantha and was inflicted on those who persisted in their stubborn resistance to authority. By this, listen, they were cut off from all connection with the Jewish people and were consigned to utter perdition. The Talmud assigns as the two general causes for excommunication money and epicurism. The first refers to those who refused to pay the monies that the court directed them to pay. The second refers to those who despised the Word of God or of the scribes, both being put on an equal basis. So it wasn't like, hey, you can't come to the synagogue anymore. It was, you're cursed. We're going to pronounce a curse on you and you're not allowed to do anything, not just in the synagogue, you're not allowed to do anything with the Jewish people. That's what they were holding over their heads. If somebody agreed to what Jesus said, that's why these parents were like, we really don't know what happened. He's old enough, he can tell you because we're just not sure. Please don't put us out of the synagogue. Please don't excommunicate us because what did we, we didn't do anything wrong. Ask him, talk to him. So don't be too hard on these guys. I'm sure they were excited, I'm sure they were happy, but at the same time I'm sure they were like, oh no. The Pharisees get a hold of this, we're in trouble. So talk to him because we're not a part of this. The Pharisees were going to label anyone who associated with Jesus and spoke well of him with a scarlet letter, making them outcasts of both the neighborhood and the synagogue, which would have been traumatic. So that's what was going on there. Verse 24. So, for the second time, the Pharisees called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now they're just desperate. And we've seen him here before, right? With the your mama comment a couple weeks ago. Remember that? Jesus gets in some fluster. They're like, okay, they're kind of there again. They call the guy back in and they say, give glory to God. Now, how's he supposed to give glory to God? Look what they say after that. This man is supposed to agree with them that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So get a hold of what they're saying. Give glory to God and call this man who spit in the mud on the Sabbath, kneaded some mud together, put it on your eyes, told you to go wash, and when you washed, you could see, call him a sinner and glorify God when you do that. Seems upside down, doesn't it? But that's what that's where they're at. That's how they feel. Verse 25, he answered, listen, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, I see. Listen, guys, I don't know this guy. You seem like you know him. You seem like you've got an inside track of what's going on with him. But I know one thing. 
I know that I couldn't see this morning when I woke up. And now, after He did what He did, and I did what He told me to do, I know that I can see. So, all I know is that I was blind. Now I see. Verse 26. They said to Him, what did He do to you? How did He open your eyes? He's like, really? Really? I think here, they're just trying to get Him to contradict Himself. I think they're just trying to trip Him up and maybe He'll change His story. Ah, we knew it. We knew it. You've been acting like a blind man. Or maybe uh, it wasn't Him that did it. It was the pool that did it. Maybe He would put His faith in somebody else or something else. It sounds like they're trying to get Him to double back on His story, especially after He has seen how His parents react. You think He might be afraid now that He might get excommunicated? So they're just trying to just grind it in. They're trying to get Him to at least change His story so they can work out something and get a story they can tell everyone that doesn't make Jesus look good. Verse 27, He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become His disciples? This guy's like, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to know more about Him so you can follow Him? Which, I don't believe this guy's digging at Him. I think he's just like, what's going on? What's This is a pretty cool thing. I can see. Verses 28 and 29. And they reviled Him. They're pretty good at reviling saying, you are His disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Again, go back a couple weeks. The same thing they're saying to Jesus when He's calling them out. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from, even though earlier Jesus had told them where he came from. I come from above, you're from below. Now the Pharisees are riled up real good. They insult Him by calling Him Jesus' disciple like it's a name. Anybody know anything about comic books? Okay, we'll skip this illustration then. Anybody ever heard of DC Comics, Marvel Comics? Okay, now I'm getting some nods. Okay, all right, good. I remember one time I was at the movie theater when I was when I worked there, and Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, had come out. Everybody remember that? Everybody's like, "You're really old. You were wearing it at the thing." This corner back here that's doing that. Anyway. It broke all kinds of box office records and everybody was hyped up about it. Well, I made a statement to a guy that I worked with that I liked the Batman movies better than Spider-Man. Well, Batman is a DC comic book. Spider-Man is a Marvel comic book. Okay? So I said that. I said, I I like Batman better than Spider-Man. And this is what he said. He said, you're a DC fan. I'm like, are you calling me that like it's a name? I'm like, I should be like a... Like I'm a jerk or I'm a dope or I'm an idiot. I'm like, you're, you're like calling me a name? And that's basically what these guys are doing. You're his disciple. They're tossing scorn on him. Because like, you're his disciple. You're a DC fan. And I'm like, oh. guy's like, I'm a disciple. I, I, I just, I can see. I don't know what's going on here. So they're just piling it on him. They insult him by calling him Jesus' disciple, refer to themselves as Moses' disciple, and then they say they don't even know where Jesus comes from. All right, now, about to get real. Verses 30 through 33. The man answered, now listen, I love this. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, and this is the guy still talking, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now listen, this guy doesn't show any signs of learning. He's been blind all of his life, which means he's been an outcast, but he's got some pretty good logic going on here, doesn't he? He's not the smartest person in the room, wouldn't claim to be, but he may be the most logical. He's just putting one and one together. Look at his flow of thought. Again, he's just like, listen, you guys are fussing. You guys are raising a fuss. But basically the conclusion is, if this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. But he's not only doing something, he's doing something that's never been done since the world began. He's open and blind eyes. That's pretty logical. I think he's just saying, listen guys, put two and two together here. I don't know much about this guy, but I do know. I woke up this morning and I couldn't see. He spit in the mud, made mud, put on my eyes, told me to go wash. I washed. And now I can see. Surely, surely, guys, Pharisees, exalted ones, elevated ones, holy ones, surely there's something to this. Verse 34. Oh, back up. 
Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin like they weren't, and would you teach us? And what'd they do? They cast him out. Level three, excommunication. Scarlet letter, never back in here, son of a gun. Get out of here. Because you can see now, get out of here. Stupid person who can see, go on. That's logical, right? Who do you think you are, they say. Get out of here now. Grace. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Hey, buddy, do you believe in the Son of Man? The hey, buddy's my part, okay? It's not in the original text. Jesus heard, and Jesus seeks him out. You think that's pretty important? This guy didn't go looking for Jesus. Right? He gets cast out of the synagogue. He's like, I can see. I can see. That's what you look like. <laughs> and then Jesus asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Anybody know where that reference is from? Daniel? Remember we talked about it a long earlier way back when Jesus, I think in uh, John chapter 3, Jesus referred to Himself as the Son of Man. It's from Daniel. Daniel had a vision of one like a Son of Man presenting Himself before the Ancient of Days. And it was given to Him power and dominion and authority. I believe it's Daniel 7. Shame on me for not knowing that exactly, but I'm pretty sure it's Daniel 7. So when Jesus was saying, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe that there's one coming who will be like a man that God will confer all the rights and all the authority of His kingdom onto? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, the guy said, And who is He, sir, that I may believe in Him? The guy's like, I might. Who is it? Let me in on a secret because I like you. I'm pretty sure you got something going on. Jesus said to him, verse 37, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Full disclosure. Now, you have seen him. That's a pretty big statement to somebody who woke up that morning and couldn't see. You've seen him. You have seen him. And can you just imagine the synapses firing in his mind? I have seen him. I see him. I can see him. He's standing right in front of me. And you are speaking to him, Jesus said. I am him. I am the Son of Man. I am the one who stood before the Ancient of Days that Daniel saw, and I am the one that God will confer all the rights and privileges and authority of His kingdom upon. I am Him. You're looking at Him. You're talking to Him. I am God in the flesh. Verse 38. Yes, verse 38. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And here's the key moment. The guy says, I believe. Now listen, he could have said, I believe, and walked away. He could have said, I believe, and shook his hand. Thank you for healing me. Appreciate it, man. There's nothing, this is the greatest gift I've ever received. Thanks. I appreciate it. Have a great one. The Pharisees are looking for you, by the way. I'm out of here. No, no, no. No. He doesn't stop by just saying he believes. Lord, I believe. First he calls him Lord. He's moved from Sir to Lord. Even though there were similar words, there's a weight on this word. All of a sudden, I believe you're him. And not only does he say he believes, but he does something with his belief. He worships Jesus. Now what does that look like? What's it look like? It says that he worshipped him. What did he do? We don't know exactly, but let me let me read 
The Greek word for worship here is proskuneo. You're like, okay. Comes from words that mean to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hand. To kiss the hand towards one in token of reverence. Among the Orientals, especially the Persians, it meant to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. In the New Testament, by kneeling or prostration to do homage to one, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication used of homage shown to men and beings of superior rank. To the Jewish high priest, they would worship the Jewish high priest. They would show homage to him. But to God, it meant to fall on your face and say, you are. You deserve every bit of respect, every bit of homage, every bit of love, every bit of everything that I could give you and to show you that I'm going to get as low as I can possibly get to show that you rank much higher than me. I believe this man fell on his face. I don't have scriptural evidence for that outside of the word worshipped. It doesn't say he fell on his face. But this word is so important. Nobody prior to this is said to have done this to Jesus in the Gospel of John. Nobody. Now the disciples worshipped Him when He walked on the ocean, but it wasn't this Word. And nobody, definitely in public, because what He showed the disciples, He had shown in private out in the middle of the ocean in the middle of the night, third watch of the night. They worshipped Him there on the boat. But here in broad daylight, this man falls on his face and says, You are God Almighty. And everybody saw it. And Jesus did not refuse it or rebuke him for it. Which was another sign that he was saying, I will receive worship because I am God. From the definition, it's hard to argue that it had a physical form. There was something very visible about it. And everybody saw it. 39 through 41. Jesus said, in the midst of this, now again, whether or not the man is on his face, he's doing something to express worship to Jesus publicly. Everybody's seeing it. And in the midst of it, Jesus doesn't say, thank you, buddy, I appreciate it. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now listen, who's standing around? Jesus is around, so I'll tell you who's standing around. Some of the Pharisees near Him heard these things and said to Him, Are we also blind? You jumping on us now, Jesus? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So in the midst of this man worshiping, Jesus stands up and He turns things upside down again. And He says He came to judge the world in a way that makes people who are blind able to see and to show that those who say they can see really can't. He is again calling people past the physical towards the spiritual. The miracles are signs that point to a greater truth. Jesus is saying, I can make eyes that are blind able to see. And I can make those that think they can see actually be blind. The Pharisees say, you talking about us? Yeah, I'm talking about you. Are you saying we're blind? To which Jesus says, if you were, you'd be better off than you are right now. But since you say you can see, you won't turn to me so that I can heal your blindness, your true spiritual blindness. They just can't see Him for who He is and they will not see themselves for who they are. Which is the very first step of salvation. Their need to be the experts will not allow them to humble themselves and need Jesus. So they will die in their sins. And that's what Jesus said to them earlier. Now, finish with the passage. What I want to pull from this for application for us. Look around. There's people sitting in this building besides you, right? Why are you here this morning? 
uh, coffee, donuts, if we eat afterwards. You come this morning because you're religious people. Or at least you have an interest in religious things. Everybody agree with that? That's not a slam. I'm not cutting you down. I'm not going to trick you and say, oh, you're religious. I'm not religious. I got Jesus. I don't have religion. Careful with that, by the way. You're religious people. You're religious folk or you wouldn't be here this morning. What I want to pull from this passage are four reactions to Jesus' miracle. You're like, four? You still got four points left? It won't take long. And these four reactions are religious reactions to Jesus' miracle. You're talking about a religious group of people that all this stuff was happening amongst. What I want us to do is examine ourselves. Ourselves, the church, the religious people that make up Providence Bible Church, or if you're not of us, if you're a visitor, you're here because you're religious. I want us to do, I want us to examine ourselves, not the world. I'm not, I'm not talking about sinners. I'm not talking about unregenerate people. I'm talking about us. In light of how we might religiously react to God's working in our time. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are you with me? Because God is still working in our world. Agreed? Okay? Now, how are you going to react to what God is doing in our world? I believe they show us four options. The four religious reactions to the work of Jesus. The first is pride. And that's represented by the Pharisees and their reaction to Jesus' work. And you say, well, I would never do that. Be careful. These are the people that say, God only does what He's done in and for me. God only does things the way that I've seen Him do things. God only does things the way we do things on Sunday morning. God only works in ways that I've seen Him work. Now, I am not talking about doctrine here. I'm talking about something that is an undeniable work of God and you disdain it because it didn't happen with you, for you, or through you. That's what the Pharisees were like. Your God, quote-unquote, must be different. In other words, not true. Because that's not what my God would do. Let me, let me just read their reactions. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And they reviled the man, saying, You are his disciples, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, we're disciples of Moses. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to Jesus, Are we also blind? Now the Pharisees blatantly hated Jesus. They hated Him. I don't think anybody in here this morning hates Jesus. If you do, we need to talk. But I believe we can despise some things that God does with other groups of people, in other places, in when He works in ways we don't understand, when He does something that we don't want Him to do. We will exalt ourselves above God and say, that's not God, or that shouldn't have happened, or I wouldn't have done it that way. Have you ever looked at God and said, I wouldn't have done it that way, God. I think you should have done this. Yeah, I've said that. That's religious pride. I could do this better than you could do it, God. Or you look at somebody that God is just all over and it kind of makes you sick to your stomach. Ever been there? You're kind of in a funk spiritually. And these people are walking on clouds and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you're like, just stop it. You'll see one day. It's not all sunshine and roses. Ever been that person? I've been that person. So pharisaical. And it's pride. And we can react in pride to the work of God, especially in other people's lives. Be on guard against that. Your doctrine needs to be sound and you need to know what you know and you need to know in whom you have believed. But do not for one second start to think that you know the only way that God can work. 
He is God and His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. Do not lift yourself up against the work of God. Be careful about that. That's one reaction, pride. Second reaction is fear. Have you ever felt like you were supposed to do something, God wanted you to do something that you just did not want to do? Maybe it's something as simple as bowing your head and praying over a meal in a restaurant. And you give it one of these. God, thanks for this food. Amen. I said my prayer. And you're looking around. Nobody saw me. Ever felt that way? Oh, y'all are spiritual. I have felt that way. I've been ashamed of my God in Pizza Hut before. It's afraid what other people might think. Afraid what other people might say. But it goes a little deeper than that. The man's parents show us what fear looks like in reaction to the work of God. They don't want to be excluded from the religious activities of the day. And not just that. They don't want to face the scorn of the religious establishment. They don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want to suffer consequences for something they weren't sure about. We are so afraid of what people may think about us if God is working in us. What if they think I'm weird? What if they think that I'm a holy roller? What if they think that I'm a holier than that? What if they think that I've gone over the edge? What if they think that I'm wrong? What if they, what if they, what if they, what if they? And it's fear. God tells us to not be afraid of men's what? That's probably not a fair question. He says, don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of how people look at you when you start to give glory to God in the public square. What do so many of us spend so much of our time doing throughout the day? We're on blank book. Uh, back of the head book, handbook, f- Facebook. We're constantly putting our faces in front of other people and we're constantly putting other people's faces in front of us. Have you ever done something on Facebook that you're afraid somebody was going to ridicule you for? Especially if you're giving glory to God about something? Have you ever had somebody sneak that little comment in on your thread? You're just giving God glory for something. Man, thank God He got us home safe. Somebody blubs in, there is no God. You're like, uh, that's not what I wanted to happen here. I'll just delete that post. Yeah, go ahead and delete that post. That'll get you a world of trouble. You're going to delete my post? You're going to delete my post because I say there's no God? Then you're really in a ruckus. We're afraid that somebody's going to... You know what we're really afraid of? We're afraid somebody's going to show something that we don't know. We're afraid that somebody might say something that might really shake our belief to the core of its being. We're afraid of being excluded from those friends who don't agree with us. And so we zip it up, ask Him, He's old enough, He can talk for Himself when God starts to really work. Fear. Let me tell you about a time that I was afraid. We were in Africa. I don't know what year it was. We were in a very rural village. Now, West Virginia is pretty, pretty rural. When I say rural village, I'm talking grass huts, no running water, no electricity ever. I think you were there. Were you there with Mitch and Larry Priest? Okay, okay, you weren't there. We were in this village and a lot of people had come to believe that Jesus was the Christ and they had confessed that. Well, some of these people had worshipped idols. And when I say idols, I mean looks like that vase kind of idol. Carved image type idol. Well, we're in the village and the guy that we're with, Bob Zima, says, we must destroy these idols now. Say what? And let me tell you what, I got afraid. I'm thinking, I believe there's something spiritual to these demons, or to these idols. I believe it's demonic. And I don't know that I'm really ready to contend with that. Well, my man Mitch and my man Larry just walk in. They're picking up idols, man. They're, I mean, literally, I, this is happening in front of my eyes, and you know, and I'm, I'm clapping nervously. Praise God! Oh, 
oh boy. And I'm scared. I mean, literally. Physically afraid because I'm thinking, there's something to this. There's a power to this that I don't know that I can take on. Now let me say this in reaction to that. Mitch and Larry, out of the whole group that went to Africa, got malaria. And I kind of wiped my brow afterwards saying, man, I'm glad I didn't touch him idols. Is that any way to react to the work of God in somebody's life? Cowering in a corner in rural Africa saying, I don't want to touch those carved images because I might get sick. We are a frightened group of people. We're scared to death. Somebody with an agenda over here will jump on us and take our rights from us. You lost your rights at the cross. You don't have any rights anymore, Christian. You forfeited them when you said Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't live in fear. Bad things will happen. Consequences will come. You will be expelled. Jesus said it. They'll exclude you from the assembly. They'll kill you. They'll spit on you. They'll mock you. Just like they did me. Don't be afraid of that. Your reward is in heaven. And you are kept eternally by the mighty hand of God. And what did we learn a couple weeks ago? You will never die. Ah. Let them do what they want. Do not fear man who can only destroy the body, Jesus said, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. If you're going to be afraid, be afraid of the mighty power of God and be afraid of rejecting that. Two more. Pride, fear. Lingered on fear a little longer than I meant to. Third reaction to a move of God is ignorance. This is the man before he knows who Jesus is. We probably spend most of our time here. Not, not this morning, I'm saying in our Christian lives, we spend our lives in ignorance. What Jesus did for me is our mindset. Jesus is a prophet. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. And we hear it in our culture all the time. But He wasn't really anything else. It's a good thing to share what God has done with you. It's a good thing to share that Jesus was a prophet and that He was a good man, that He was a great teacher. These are good things, but it's not enough. Your ignorance of who Jesus really is, your ignorance of what God wants for you is not sufficient for you to just sit back and let things happen as God works in other people. God doesn't work that way in me, I don't think. I can tell all day long how good God has been to me. But if someone who is listening hasn't experienced that deliverance, if they're in the midst of hurting and all they're hearing is that God delivered me, God delivered me, God delivered me, it's not enough. They need comfort in the moment. They need help in that moment. And their appetites can be wet with the prospect of deliverance and help, but their faith will not be a saving one. And this guy was not saved yet. He had been healed of his blindness, but he was not saved yet. He didn't know who Jesus was. The gospel is incomplete without a full revelation of who Jesus is. And I think we linger there. As individuals in a church, man, I feel better. You know, I just feel better. My sins are forgiven. That's good. I feel better. God did some, God got me through a rough spot one time, or I was on an airplane one time, it was bouncing all over the air, and God got us down safely. And man, God's good. God's good. God did this for me. God did, what did God do for everybody? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't just talk about what God's done for you. Because actually, That's ignorance. I'm not saying don't talk about what God's done for you, but don't just talk about what God... This guy says, I don't know who this guy is. All I know is that I woke up this morning, I couldn't see, now I can see. Now, how much of a lasting impact did that make on the Pharisees? They spit in his face and told him to never come back. The world does not care much what Jesus has done for you. You say, well, that's not nice. It's true. That's your God. That's your religion. That's for you. That doesn't affect me. But listen, the gospel affects people. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. Don't walk around in ignorance saying, I don't know much. All I know is that God's been good to me. It's not enough, guys. It's not enough. Pride, fear, ignorance. Those are three options of reactions. The last one is worship. When God is working, and He is, We're going to get to that at the very end, which is just a few sentences away. Okay? I promise. When God is working, our reaction should always be worship. 
This is what God is after. Let me tell you something. God made sure that that man was born blind so that God would receive worship. Who made that happen? God did. And why did God make that happen? God wouldn't make anybody be born blind. Yes, He would. Last week, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but that the glory of God would be revealed. This man was born blind. God is seeking what? John chapter 4. God is seeking worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. These are the kinds of worshipers that the Father is seeking. And He will do whatever He has to do to make sure that we respond in worship to His work. And it's not the only acceptable reaction to the work of... It is the only acceptable action in response to the work of God in our lives. And it's not just miracles, guys. It's not just blind people being able to see. Listen, the exclamation point at the end of all this is this. All that happens in our lives is God working in one way or another. I'm going to read that again. And I want you to think about it. All that happens in our lives is God working in one way or another. Do we know that God is at work in all of what is going on in our lives? And will we worship Him in the midst of it? In response to it? The good, the bad, the ugly, the things we would not have done if we were God, the things that we don't like, the things that hurt us deeply. Will we worship God as they are happening? The picture of Job pops into my head. His wife comes out after his kids have been killed. All of his animals have been stolen. He's lost everything. And she comes out and she says, Curse God and die. And Job says, You speak as one of the foolish women. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he throws himself on top of a dung hill, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, and he mourns. And in the midst of his mourning, he worships. The Father is seeking worshipers. Those who will glorify Jesus in any and every circumstance. I want to close with a quote from John Piper. In his message of the first part of this passage, which was the man actually being healed, and they're asking, why, why is this man born blind? Well, listen. The reason causes are not the ultimate explanation for things. You got that? Let me read it again. The reason that causes, C-A-U-S-E-S, the reason causes are not the ultimate explanation for things. Why? Why is this happening? The reason those are not the ultimate explanation for things is that God is not ultimately a responder, but ultimately a planner. In other words, Piper says, when God ordains that something happen, God is not at the bottom responding to human causes. He is at bottom planning a purpose. Let me read it again in full because I, I injected myself there. The reason causes are not the ultimate explanation for things is that God is not ultimately a responder, but ultimately a planner. In other words, when God ordains that something happen, God is not at the bottom responding to human causes. He is at bottom planning a purpose. And I can tell you right now what that purpose is. The purpose that God has at the bottom of every circumstance in your life is for you to worship Him. Period. Now you can respond to Him in pride, 
in fear or in ignorance, or you can respond to Him, Christian, who has been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Christian, who has been caused to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies, Christian, whose eternal fate is sealed because of the work of Jesus Christ. You can respond to Him in ignorance, pride, or fear, or you can respond in worship. But, but, but no, no buts. But my situation's really bad. No buts. It's really hard. No buts. And it's real easy for me to say that standing up here right now. I understand that. God is not at the bottom responding to human causes. He is at bottom planning a purpose. Jeannie, can I read what Steve wrote on Facebook? I think it I think it'll be good to close us out. Nope. Wrong page, I'm sorry. Give me just a minute. I would wasn't planning on this. But it fits so well with what we're talking about. These are Steve's words. was wondering yesterday about what, where, or how God might be directing us through this latest, quote, event in our lives. He says in parentheses, I won't call it a tragedy because it's not. I'll explain more later, he says. It was just a couple months short of 26 years ago, I was a young specialist in the Army serving in Panama. Billy Fruge, Scott Nelson, and I were returning from a night of partying when Billy lost control of the Jeep we were in. I was ejected from the Jeep as it flipped over another car and was smashed between the two. I spent the next six to ten days unconscious with a fractured skull, severe TBI, deep lacerations all over my head and face, and half my face paralyzed. I am fully convinced. It was only by the grace of God that I came out of a coma in a Panamanian hospital and survived. And in big bold letters, all caps, and it is a good thing I did, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. At that time in my life, I did not know God or even how to know God. I knew about Him, but I did not know Him. Over the next year, that accident became a major catalyst in me, understanding of who God is, how much He loves me, and how He gave so much to restore me in my relationship to Him. I am now a heaven-bound child of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Creator of all that exists. He is God and there is no other. So, the first major physical tragedy in my life saved my life. I can't imagine how he can top that or what he has planned for me and my girls next. But I'm anxious to see what waits for us from his hands. For I know, all capitals, that it will be good! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. For he is a good God and I am his child. Matthew 7.11 Thanks everyone for all your prayers, cards, visits, and words of encouragement. They have carried us these last few days. It is going to be a long and difficult road and we will need your prayers and support along the way. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Second Timothy 1.12 And he ends by saying, Let the journey begin. Yeah. That's a little better than pride, ignorance, or fear. It's worship. And that's how we are called to respond to everything that God does in our lives because God is a planner. And He is planning things that will cause you to worship Him. How will you respond? Let's pray. God, I am so glad that You have a plan. And though I am not the center of that plan, I am a part of that plan. And though I would not have orchestrated this plan the way you have orchestrated it, I am glad that you are in charge and I am not. God, I pray that you would help us to respond in worship to every single situation that comes into our lives. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and truth.
not in pride, fear, or ignorance. And I pray that our lives would be characterized by that worship, God. Help us by the power of Your Spirit, for without Him, we can do nothing.